And that's the way we discovered Colombian teachers get the attention and the silence of their students when, when there's a lot of chaos in the classroom. Buenos días, hermanos y hermanas. Estamos celebrando una vez más el hecho de que estamos juntos reunidos aquí. Good morning, brothers and sisters. We are celebrating one more time the fact that we're all together here. Hoy queremos traer saludos de nuestros hermanos y hermanas de Colombia, en especial de las iglesias menonitas de Bogotá. Today we want to bring greetings from our brothers and sisters in Colombia, especially from the Mennonite churches of Bogotá. <laughs> we got some sound there that we didn't know we had. <laughs> Hace una semana, el grupo que está aquí enfrente, regresamos de un viaje de 10 días a Colombia. One week ago, the group that's here in front, we all returned from ten day, a 10-day trip to Colombia. Como Carolina, una de las presentadoras nos dijo, Aunque haya cosas pesadas en la vida, ahora nos vamos a enfocarnos en celebrar la vida que sí tenemos. As Carolina, one of the presenters, told us, in spite of the fact that there are heavy things in our lives, right now we are going to focus on celebrating the life that we do have together. Y hoy queremos compartir con ustedes en la mejor forma que podamos Algo de lo que vivimos y aprendimos en Colombia. And today we want to share with you in the best way that we can something of what we saw and learned in Colombia. Mucho de lo cual nos llegó por medio de la interpretación. Much of it came to us through translation. Por eso estoy hablando en español y Eugenio está interpretando. For that reason, I'm speaking in Spanish right now and Daryl is translating. And now it's going to be English. It's kind of straightforward from here. Um, as a call to worship, let's turn together to page 824 in the blue hymnal, please. I'll read the light, and you can read the dark, and we'll end together. The Lord is faithful in all his works and gracious in all his deeds. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food in due season. The Lord is just in all his ways and kind in all his doings. God fulfills the desire of all who fear him. God also hears their cry and saves them. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord, and all flesh will bless his holy name forever and ever. One of the things that the church that we attended in Bogota, the Teosakio Mennonite Church did, and they said it was a tradition of, for them, is that um, at the beginning of the service, they lit some candles to remind them, first of all, of, the, of their own church, to just think about their own church, and then they had two candles that they lit 
to remind themselves of their sister church relationships. Of the, they have a, a special relationship with two of the of churches, two of the Mennonite churches in the United States. And we thought it would be interesting to carry that tradition here for for this Sunday, and light these candles here, and just in to help us remember the the churches in Colombia and the people that we visited there. What they did then was they started the church like this, and then they said, um, we'd like to have some volunteers come light our candles. And then they said, the group from the United States. So Aidan Waybright and Emily Lehman lit candles in Bogota uh, two weeks ago. So volunteers, how about a couple of volunteers to come light our candles? And <clears throat> If not, we'll just, we'll just pick somebody here. Yeah. Oh, here comes... Thank you, Nick. Anyone else? Trace is up. Trace is up. Come on, Trace. <laughs> Just light him. So once they get the candles lit, then we're going to just be hearing a number of uh, reports and thoughts and feelings that uh, everybody's going to share. Don't pay too much attention to your bulletins. We have our program here. That's the one we're going to follow. And we'll be, uh, I hope, be a blessing for all of us. So I am going to provide you with a bit of background. Before we went to Columbia, we were on a uh, somewhat ineffective Facebook page given uh, many articles and videos as some history to Columbia so we wouldn't be going in completely blind. So I'm going to give you some history and information on Columbia so you're not going into all of these saying, all these little talks completely blind. Um, so our trip was 10 days long, uh, including travel, going into the 11th day. Uh, we traveled down and managed to get to Columbia at the completely okay time of 2 o'clock in the morning. Uh, f we spent four full days in Bogota and then traveled to Sensilejo on the Colombian airline and had two, and a, two full days and two half days there where we visited several communities in the area and talked with Sembrando Paz, the um, organization we were staying with there in Sensilejo. Uh, then we traveled back to Bogota, slept, and woke up at 4 o'clock the next morning to head back to the airport, where we had a 10-hour layover, and then got back home at 2 again in the morning. Um, in Colombia, um, as many of you know, they have had a very large problem with war for the past 50 years. Um, the war has been split into quite a few, well, lots and lots and lots of different groups fighting against each other. The main factions are the Colombian government and their military and police. Uh, paramilitaries, which are typically either unofficially government-backed, many politicians are now in jail because of that, many more have managed to get away after involvement with that, 
and many are just hired mercenaries for private corporations or rich individuals with large farms to protect their interests. And then finally, there are the rebel groups, the guerrillas, um, such as the FARC and the ELN, among many other acronyms. In that respect, they're similar to Mennonites, liking their acronyms. Um, the FARC is one of the world's largest and richest guerrilla groups thanks to its huge drug trafficking trade. Um, this is where the U.S. comes in. Almost all of the cocaine in the U.S. is from Colombia, in large part due to these groups. So the U.S. has taken, tried to take some action against this. Plan Colombia is an action from the U.S. where they funneled an enormous amount of money into Colombia, most of it going towards weaponry to fight against the groups providing drugs, and quite a bit of it for trying to help their citizens recover from the war. Unfortunately, Colombia bought plenty of weapons, but did not do much help for their own citizens with that money. And perhaps even worse is the method that they chose to control the actual cocaine production. Cocaine is produced f from a plant called coca, which many farmers have gone to, gone to growing because the markets for normal crops just aren't good enough, particularly with the transport available in Colombia. And so they controlled it by using crop dusters filled with the chemical that we know as Roundup and just flew them over any fields they thought had coca in it and killed everything. Um, so many farmers have been forced off their land, displaced because of no longer being able to grow stuff in their fields or losing crops for multiple years. Um, fortunately, there are Mennonite brethren churches in the area that a lot of this has happened who are helping farmers switch to crops other than coca and guaranteeing markets for them. So there is starting to be quite a movement away from cocaine growing. Um, as I mentioned, a lot of people have been displaced from the fields. Many, many more have been displaced from actual violence of groups moving into towns, taking them over because of massacres. And so a good example of this is the city that we were in for just a few days, Sincelejo, um, is somewhere between one-third and half of the population there is displaced people from communities nearby. So that brings up work, which is an interesting problem. Most people in the coastal area that we were in are farmers or were farmers. However, because of being displaced, there is, they do not have access to land. And even in when they aren't, there's not, much, uh, there's not much land to plant on. Most of the land is owned by huge plantation owners who in the past and even now when there are farmers, a lot of it is tenant farming where a farmer is just on the land borrowing it from the owner and farming. However, with huge multinational corporations, a lot of this is switching over to more profitable crops such as palm oil and the farmers are getting kicked off the land. Also, when they actually do have land, there's the little slash and burn problem where they ruin their own property by uh, slashing and burning after they harvest. Um, which clears it off quickly, but isn't exactly the best method to do it. Um, this lack of work is also the reason why it is so difficult to cross the street in Sincelejo, because there's 10,000 motorcycles there going very, very fast all the time without stopping, ever. <laughs> These are moto taxis, which I still don't quite understand if one-third of the population is driving the taxis, who are riding them, but... Um, also, there is lots of good news as well. This over 50 years war that's been going on is finally starting to draw to a close. A lot of, the, well, officially the paramilitaries have been demilitarized for, I think, several years now. 
However, the guerrilla groups are still somewhat active. But there have been peace talks between the FARC and the Colombian government for the past few months. And just a few weeks before we went to Colombia, they signed a ceasefire. So officially, the largest guerrilla group and the military are no longer at no longer fighting actively, and the peace talks are continuing. Um, and also, displaced communities and others who have been affected by the violence are starting to receive reparations, or at least coming to agreements about reparations. Actually receiving them is still underway and not always happening, but it's a start. And finally, just some interesting stuff. Colombia has a huge range of environments. In Bogota, we stayed at, was at 8,000 feet elevation uh, in the mountain. Mountains. And then we went to the coastal region, and we were actually at, at a beach briefly, and they have massive jungles and forests. There are more bird species in just Colombia than all of North America and Europe combined. Um, also, Colombia is the world's largest orchid producer, so if you buy an orchid, there's a good chance that it's from Colombia. And just a reminder, as you saw in the bulletin cover, our topics are justice, resilience, and displacement. Although we might not be specifically mentioning the exact words, these are the topics that we saw repeated over and over and over during our trip there. So keep them in mind as we speak and try to find connections between those and what we experienced. Micah 6.8 God has told you, O human, what is good. And what does Yahweh require of you except to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? Take your blue hymnals and turn to number 367, please. 367, and let's stand together. Three sixty seven.
While we were in Bogota, we were split up into small groups and assigned to host families. If you've ever done this before on any kind of trip, you know this is definitely one of the most terrifying parts of the trip, um, and it's usually the most rewarding. For me, it was definitely one of the most meaningful components of our 10 days in Colombia. I stayed with Emma and Bryce, and our host couple was Irma and Anthony. They were probably in their 60s and had spent many years in Guatemala with MCC and one year with MCC in Akron. While there, I was humbled by and grateful for the incredible hospitality that they showed to us. They fed us delicious meals, played Dutch Blitz with us, um, had wonderful conversations with us in English and in Spanish, and slapped sunscreen on us when we forgot about the altitude that makes Bogota closer to the stars, as our host mother put it. My host family affected my experience in Colombia profoundly. I didn't expect that I would look forward to seeing them again every night after our busy days. I didn't expect that they would shift around their lives just for a group of teenagers. They were kind to us and welcomed us wholeheartedly. Our experience wasn't unique to our host family. I heard similar stories from all of the youth group members. Our host family went out of their way to feed us and welcome us and make sure that we felt at home in Colombia. There's something breathtaking about being so overcome with gratitude that there are no words to express it. That was how I felt when I tried to thank my host family. However, I want to be careful to not fall into the trap that I think so many traveling teenagers can of thinking that they are somehow owed this hospitality, that their experience of hospitality can be credited to their own actions or to who they are. We were not some special gift to Colombia. Believe me, we weren't. Furthermore, our hosts did not have some magic host skills that we in the global north don't have. I would argue this is a skill, a biblical mandate, yes, but also a skill that we've forgotten how to practice. We were welcomed with such warmth because our hosts recognized our need for hospitality in a new country. Of course, I could launch into a whole discussion about race and the uncomfortable fact that it is a big deal to be North American visiting Colombia. But I'll stop here because then this will turn into a full-length sermon. <laughs> um, during my time spent with Irma and Antony, I learned something important that I'm going to carry with me into adulthood. Hospitality is a recognition of shared humanity, of common ground, and it's something that we all need to practice, both in big and small ways. When Irma and Antony listened patiently to our garbled Spanish, when they taught us about shopping in Colombian markets, when they made sure that we were getting enough sleep each night, they were recognizing the connection and the shared experiences between us, a group of teenagers, and them. On our last day, I told Irma that I could never begin to thank her for all that she and Antony had done for us in those few days. She reminded me that she and Antony, when they were in Guatemala, had received that same kind of welcome. She told me, the only thing you can do now is pass it on. When somebody comes to your community in need of welcome, you can welcome them and remember us. Uh, I'm going to be talking about the different types of transportation we experienced while we were in Colombia. Uh, probably the most common form of transportation in Colombia is walking. People walked everywhere in Bogota and in Sincelejo. Another very common form of transportation is motorcycles. There are motorcycles everywhere, especially in Bogota, but also in Sincelejo too. There are no real crosswalks in Bogota, so you had to be very careful not to get hit by a passing motorcycle. Uh, there were also multiple motorcycle dealerships in Bogota and motorcycle repair shops in Sincelejo. 
the type of transportation that the MYF used the most in Bogota was the city bus system. The bus system was called the Transmillennial, and it went all over the city. There were separate lanes in the street just for the bus and platforms that looked sort of like train platforms all along the lane for people to get on the bus. A lot of the time in Bogota was spent going from one place to another on the Transmillennial. There were also taxis in Bogota that could take you about anywhere in the city. While we were in Bogota, we went to a very old church in Monserrate that was up in the mountains that surrounded Bogota. Um, to get up to the church, we had to take a type of trolley car that was built at an angle to go up the mountain. It took only about five to ten minutes to get up the mountain, and while we were going up the mountain, we saw an amazing view of the city. On the way down, we took a cable car that went all the way down the mountain. We were about 20 feet off the ground, and the view down is even more amazing than the way up. In Cincinnati Hill, a very common form of transformation was motorcycle taxis, also known as mototaxis. People would buy 15 or 20 motorcycles, and then rent them out to people who would drive around Cincelejo, taking people on the back of their motorcycles from one place to another. We also saw some people getting around on donkeys, mules, and horses. Uh, when we were in Cincelejo, we had a van that the chaperones had rented ahead of time. The driver was very confident, but we weren't quite so confident, and several members of the MYF got pretty carsick. Saturday morning, as we were driving to the airport, a man cut right in front of the van and scraped the side of the van. Fortunately, we all got to the airport in time where the drivers talked and figured everything out. Probably the most interesting and memorable ride was when we went to a village in the jungle near Cincelejo. The ride was about, about an hour long and very bumpy. After the ride, the MYF later found out that the chaperones were pretty worried about the Jeep ride and relieved that it was over. The MYF had no idea about this, so we had lots of fun standing up in the back of the Jeep and dodging tree branches. These types of transportation have taught me is that we all have it a lot easier than we know. And if ever you're getting annoyed about missing the bus or your car not starting, just imagine riding a donkey. Our second scripture reading from today is from Matthew 5, the Sermon on the Mount. And when we were down in Columbia, we realized that um, the Sermon on the Mount is a very, very important uh, part of the Bible for Colombians because, number one, of its peace message, and also it's just very encouraging for people who well, need encouragement, as many Colombians do. I'll be reading the Beatitudes and then also be reading Matthew five thirty-eight through 43. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up to the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to speak and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evildoer. But if anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your coat, give your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go also the second mile. 
Give to everyone who begs from you, and do not refuse anyone who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be children of your Father in heaven, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. As we walk into the quaint but lively church in Santa Marta, we are bombarded by children's voices and laughter. As we look around, we see a beautiful sight of diversity through age, gender, and skin color. Our attention is immediately grabbed by the firmly grounded young woman leading the song you learned a little earlier this morning, Lali Chusa. The children abruptly calm down and stay silent during the duration of our youth's introduction. Mind you, some of these kids are as young as six months old. Our entire visit at the Santa Marta Mennonite Church's Vacation Bible School was breathtaking. The youth of the Santa Marta Mennonite Church had intense patience and love for every single child's wants and needs. The children had utmost respect for their peers and leaders. Many educational games were played with a discussion time afterwards to talk about what they learned. Not only were their responses well born beyond their years, the passion in each child to have the opportunity to answer the questions was striking. In the North America most of our church is familiar with, children are allowed by their environment to stay innocent of political going-ons and turmoil for much longer than most children in Colombia. This contrast made it amazing to hear the intensely mature comments from very young children. Every child does seem to have a maturity and thought process far too advanced for their age and the standards our youth group is used to. Even though the kids may have been shy towards our youth group, most of them really wanted to share the themes they saw in the game. One game highlighted that a machine can't work even if the smallest piece is missing. An eloquent response from a beaming seven-year-old let us know that the point of the game was to show that everyone is important and deserves to be heard and not cast aside no matter their purpose or talents. Now to put these children into their context they live in. Seeing that their home country has been in armed conflict for the past 60 years, the extremely corrupt government, and the immense poverty a lot of the country's population lives in, the positivity and beauty of these kids seems even more amazing. They value their education and their country's current strides toward peace, which shows in their eloquence and intellect on big issues, but also their ability to laugh, smile, and dance. Overall, our youth group learned so much from that three-hour experience than we could ever put into sufficient words. We applaud the resilience, joy, and maturity that radiates off of the youth and children at Santa Marta Mennonite Church. We're going to sing a song that we heard a couple times on this trip at various churches, and some of you probably know it from Mennonite World Conference. Um, yeah, we'll teach it to you and sing it if you know it. I have a quick lesson. I'm taking uh, notes from Daryl, who had some music instruction a few weeks ago. Uh, so as probably 
a lot of us have realized we're not too great at clapping. Fortunately, I have good news for you all. You're not the worst. The church we went to in uh, the Tusikio Mennonite Church is even worse at clapping. They have no idea what they're doing. For Fortunately, I pretend I know a little bit of what I'm doing, so I want to try to teach you a little bit. It's really easy. The people we have up front are supposedly musically talented. For some reason, we let them up here, so hopefully they are. So if they're clapping along with the song, you join them. If they are currently clapping, you clap with them. If they are not touching their hands together, you don't either. And hopefully it works well. It's sort of like a highway. Even if you're not going exactly the right speed on the highway, it's safer to go with everybody else. It's going to sound better. <laughs> Please turn to number one in your hymnal worship book. We um, put together a collection of hymns for our youth group just to have on the trip. And we had like evening devotions and kind of debriefing time every day. And we sang from that then. Um, But we also sang for um, the youth groups that we met. And this was one that we did. And we sang it um, in front of the beach. So if you can imagine um, singing this in front of the crashing waves, what is this place? All right, I forgot this. We're gonna, um, our youth group is going to sing the first verse, and then we'll all sing the second and third verse. 
the first full day we spent on the coast, we visited the community of Libertad. Uh, Libertad is a was a very large contrast from Bogota, from the, the cool weather and the, the big city. Um, Libertad is an Afro community uh, of about 4,500 people, and it was in the past um, a victim of a lot of violence at the hands of paramilitary troops. However, unlike many communities in the area, um, they were never displaced. Uh, they, they were resilient to the, the, tr the paramilitary troops, and they uh, were able to stay where they were, but they um, were the victim of lots of violence and uh, mistreatment because of this. Um, also because of this, they are very proud of their community, uh, not leaving and eventually forcing the paramilitary troops out. Um, they were able to reclaim their community and um, had discussions with the government on uh, reparations. However, there are agreements for reparations, but they haven't seen any of that yet. So they are still working uh, for justice. Um, so now that you understand some of the context, I'll go through our day in Libertad. Um, we arrived in the late morning. Uh, we all uh, spilled out of our air-conditioned van uh, into a crowded house full of the youth of Libertad. Uh, we played some fairly normal, um, awkward introducing ourselves games, but this time with a language barrier, so that was fun. Um, then we took our first of lots of very hot walks, uh, this one to uh, the home of a local woman who was generous enough to make lunch for us and the youth of Libertad, a delicious lunch of fresh, fresh salad, coconut rice, and fried fish. The eyeballs are very good, by the way, if you ever try a fried fish. Um, after lunch, we took another walk, this time to see... Um, Important landmarks in the community, uh, most notably the, uh, the school, which all of the uh, members of the youth group had attended. Um, the school was vibrant, as we could see in the smiling children who waved to us as we walked through the, the schoolyard. But there was also, um, you could see in the school some um, of the lack of resources, you could say, um, a bathroom that didn't work, a library that was empty, um, computers that didn't work, and an Afro um, uh, curriculum that was supposed to be for every Afro community taught to the students that just seemed to never, like we asked about it, but the youth said they never learned it. But all this aside, the, when we asked if it was a good school, we had a resounding yes from all of the youth. Um, they, they loved their teachers and the fact that they came from the community or communities around them gave them a lot of pride. Um, after the school, we took another walk, uh, this time to our van, and we took a 20-minute uh, drive to the shore. Um, even though Libertad is about a community removed from the shore, it's them, then a community, then the shore, uh, apparently they don't go to the shore very often, maybe two times a year, Christmas and their town saint's day. Um, so that it was a little bit odd for them to go to the shore. We paid for their motor taxis to come with us. Um, and we talked about what our youth group does and what their youth group does. Um, uh, mainly about, well, we don't do a lot compared to them, but uh, um, we talked about some of the challenges. And one of the challenges of their group is many people are, are leaving the community because of, well, young people are leaving the community because of lack of work and lack of um, higher education. So you could either stay 
in Libertad try to become a fisherman or try to work for a palm oil company, or you could go look for an education or a job somewhere else. So it's a lot of youth are leaving. Um, after our discussion, we shared music. Uh, that was our singing on the beach. Um, and then the fun began, swimming in the Caribbean, the warm Caribbean water, playing with Frisbees, which they love um, Ultimate Frisbee there, which is an interesting little game they like. Um, then we, then I also danced a little bit on the beach. I was the only MYF to dance. I'm just going to throw that out there. No one else wanted to dance. Um, <laughs> it was a little, it was a little scary. They were in a circle, and we had to get in the middle. And you know, not a big, not we're not big dancers in this church. Um, uh, and then I, I met a, I met a kid named Christopher who connected with me over the fact that I said I like to play track and field. That's Christopher there. Um, like to run track and field, and we talked a little bit. And uh, through Daryl as our interpreter. And then this all ended up eventually in us racing each other. Um, he threw a rock as far as he could throw it. Uh, and then we raced and he, he smoked me. I was I, no competition. Uh, I'm not exactly a sprinter. Um, but it, it was a really fun experience. And uh, Christopher later told me that he asked me when I would come back. And uh, I didn't really have any, I couldn't promise him anything. You know, I, I don't really know where my future is going at this moment. Um, but I definitely would love to return to a community like Libertad where the people are so welcoming, um, happy to be around each other, um, and just enjoying life even through hardship. Um, so Um, so going to Colombia was uh, by far the best experience I've had in my life so far. And I'm going to admit I wasn't expecting it to be. Um, but it really gave me, or it made me see something in a whole new perspective. Um, and it was the idea of, or the reality of that there's different, the difference in people and cultures um, around the world, despite that we're all in one world. Um, and so one thing that really stood out to me when I was going through was uh, that when we rode the bus to Libertad, we were this big bus, and there's like 17 gringos sitting in it, and we're just, we have this air conditioning and all this, and we're going through Columbia. And I remember looking out the window, and all the heads were turning towards us. And it made me think a little bit about... Um, those sad videos about uh, people wanting you to donate and they get your emotional sense by showing these sad people out in the communities. And so it really just caught my eye a lot because um, it showed that these people, despite that um, they were being displaced, they still had a home. Um, and so one thing that really made a difference was that uh, we were were these rich and privileged and unhappy Americans because we don't have money. These people, the difference is these people were happy, and it wasn't because they didn't have money. It wasn't because they didn't uh, they lost their homes. It was because they still had their community and they still had each other. And so that was a really big thing for me, and it made me realize how happy I am to have what I have and have this community. Um, 
And as going back to differences, especially on the coast, this is more on a personal for me. Um, I continually got glances and got asked about because I was different from the group. And so everyone was wondering, uh, does, she know her, does she know her family? Does she know this? Does she know that? And so this made me think a lot when, like, people ask me where I was from. Do I say, am I from China? Or do I say, am I from the United States with this group? Uh, <clears throat> and so that was something that really, uh, really made an impact on me throughout this trip. And um, when we were going through the market one time, I was walking with Emily, and we were just shopping around, and one of the vendors just yelled, Gonichiwa! And I turned around, and I was like, Oh, hola. <laughs> and so afterwards, Emily and I were like, we were wondering, why did we, why did we turn to that? And it, I think it has to do with a culture difference. Um, and so my main point is we live in two different worlds uh, from these people. And we're, like I said, we're rich and privileged, and they aren't. But we're happy, they're happy and we're not. Um, some of us Americans aren't happy with what we have because we don't have money. Um, money is the root of all evil, basically. And even though we have more, we're not happy. For these people, happiness is being back in their community. Happiness is having each other as well as having access to food. And for us, money is happiness. And so that, that was a big, like, standout for me um, and the difference of what we are happy for versus what they are happy. So that was a really good, ex that was an experience that really affected me. On that note, we're going to collect our offering. <laughs> Around the world, in many places, people have a tradition of, well, dancing their offering forward to the front. Now, I know we're not really dancers around here, so I'm not asking you to dance. But if you want to, please, don't hold back. Uh, well, we're going to do this a little differently. So we have a little box here up front with a slot in it for you to bring your offering forward. Please don't do this in an orderly fashion. <laughs> we're going to try to create a little chaos to make it feel a little bit more like a worship service in Columbia. So don't come up by rows. Just come up however you come up and greet each other on your way and chat a little bit and eventually make your way to put your offering in the box. Am I forgetting anything? Wonderful.
You did that very well. Okay, so I'm going to talk about a part that wasn't a huge part of the trip, um, but it was my favorite part. Um, I think it was the uh, third day in Bogota. We went on a graffiti tour. Um, it was a tour around the city where we looked at street art and graffiti on buildings. Um, so a lot of people probably think of graffiti as something that's only done by rapscallions and people that have no respect for property. But um, in Bogota, that's really not the case. Um, so I'm going to talk a little bit about the origins of graffiti and then how it evolved to what it is now. Um, I'm basically just copying what the guide said, but that's okay. Um, so graffiti started as just tagging, which is just putting your name or initials on a wall. Um, and uh, you would, people would try to do that on as many walls as they could, as many buildings as they could, and that's how they earned cred for doing that. They were more respected if they had their name over the city because that was like claiming that part of the city. Um, and so that was pretty, uh, like that part of graffiti was very, like it was all about, you know, gaining as much respect for yourself as possible. Um, and it was very, it was very shallow, I guess. Um, but as time went on, graffiti um, evolved. The art evolved so it wasn't just ugly names and initials on buildings anymore. Um, and people realized, especially in the ages before social media, that graffiti was a way that you could spread a message and get a lot of people to see it um, and spread what was meaningful to you. So in Bogota especially, a lot of the graffiti and the street art is political messages and stuff that's really important to the people that, that, that do it. Um, graffiti is also now um, it's actually, it can be, it's a very positive thing in many, many cases, and it's respected by a lot of people of the community. Um, now, that wasn't always the case. Five years ago, graffiti was completely illegal, um, but something changed, something happened that changed that. Basically, there was a 16-year-old kid who was tagging a wall under a bridge, I believe, um, and the cops saw him, and he was terrified, he was a kid, so he ran away, and they shot him in the back. I mean, they killed him. Uh, but maybe we could learn something from Colombia because they actually made swift policy changes that would prevent further deaths. And um, they, so now uh, graffiti is actually, it's, I believe our, our guide used the word prohibited, but it's not illegal. So what that means is um, a street artist can get the permission of a building owner, and it doesn't even have to be written or anything, they can just ask them for permission, and if they're like, oh yeah, sure, go ahead, then you can paint on the wall and the cops won't bother you at all. Um, and again, you might wonder why, why would they give you permission? But like I said, graffiti can actually be a positive thing. Street art can be a positive thing. Um, for one thing, it is extremely, extremely disrespectful in the street art community to paint over someone else's work. So if you paint a whole wall with a big mural, something that actually like looks good, then you're not going to end up with a wall with tags all over it that are ugly. Um, furthermore, graffiti, or street art rather, 
can raise property values and it can give your building a unique look and make it stand out. And so that would be why a lot of property owners would give them permission. Um, now I'll talk a little bit about the actual graffiti that we saw, the street art that we saw. Um, some of it, um, well almost all of it, had a, you know, had a big message to it. And that was something that interested me a lot because that's definitely not something you see in America. There's a lot of graffiti that doesn't have a message to it. Um, or if it does, it's not one that has any value whatsoever. But in, in Bogota, even the stuff that wasn't like really well done had, had a message that was important to someone. I saw a wall that it was just simple spray painted words, but it said, um, el gobierno es el enemigo de la gente, which means the government is the enemy of the people. Um, so there's one graffiti artist that's really popular in Bogota, and his name is DJ Lu. Um, well, that's the name he goes by. This is a pseudonym. He, no one actually knows who he is. He's anonymous, but it's rumored that he's an architect or a professor. And um, he, one of the themes that comes through in a lot of his street art is nonviolence. He's very anti-war, and that's that's something that's really passionate that he's really passionate about, and comes through in a lot of his work. Um, so, for example, uh, he, um, it's actually. On your bulletin, Colin, put it on the bulletin. There's a tic-tac-toe board with the X's as AKs that are crossed, and the O's are targets. And it's in a, they're in a position where there's a stalemate, and under it, it says "Nadie gana," which means nobody wins. Another one, uh, that one's not on. This next one isn't on the bulletin, but another one is, um, it's like mosquitoes and little bugs that just look like mosquitoes from far away, but when you look close, the wings are machine guns. Um, which obviously you can take a lot out of that. War is like a mosquito. It sucks the life out of people. It's very annoying. And did you know that scientists actually determined that many species of mosquito contribute nothing to the ecosystem that they could live in and there would not be significant effects if they were completely removed? Same for war. <laughs> um, so... Another thing about street art that I really liked was that it was a great example. Okay, those are some stencils that I think, well, that one DJ Lou definitely did, and that one, yeah, okay, all of them. So you can look at those. Um, so another thing about street art that really spoke to me was that it's a thing that at least a lot of us in America don't see as a positive thing, but it's something that can absolutely be a positive thing. And I think that is meaningful in a lot of different realms. You can take something that isn't seen as a positive thing or can definitely be a negative thing and you can turn it into something that can do good. So that's basically all I wanted to say about it. Um, just that uh, in Colombia, in Bogota, street art is a legitimate way to voice opinions. It can be a very positive thing. There are messages about the Colombian context about justice and about nonviolence and protesting the government. And it really, it really impacted me because I also want to eventually like, use media and art to convey a message that's important to me. And this is a great example of a way people are doing that.
So moving back from Bogota to the coast, I want to talk a little bit about the environment and what people do there to like farming and practices they use. So on the coast, there's really only two occupations. You're either unemployed or you're a farmer. And the farmers have it really rough. Um, many of them don't own their land. To give you an idea, 52% of farms are owned by 1.15% of landowners. And not even all Colombians are considered landowners, so that's a tiny number of people. And to make it even worse, um, from about a 20-year period, 16 million acres of farmland was either stolen or forced to change hands from poor farmers to rich corporations and landowners. So they don't really have too much money. They have it rough. So one of the practices they use is uh, called slash and burn. And it takes large swaths of forested lands and turns it into a field by, you guessed it, slashing and burning it. And um, due to the prevalence of it, um, the Colombian ecosystems are very poor. The fields that are made this way are, can only be cultivated for a few seasons because um, the trees burn and they pr uh, produce uh, very rich ash, which is really good, so that's why the farmers do it. But then, because there are no trees in the area, uh, the, the nutrients quickly wash away and all the good topsoil is quickly eroded. And that's a huge problem because the land after a few seasons is left fallow and it can't be used until more stuff grows up to be burned again. So um, the Colombians are doing a lot to uh, help out the ecosystem. Uh, Sembrando Paz is uh, encouraging farmers to plant trees along riverbanks to uh, conserve water and conserve soil. And another thing, because uh, another reason that the uh, slash and burn is so prevalent is because it doesn't take a lot of technology. So the poor farmers do this because all they have to do is light the forest on fire, with, uh, start it, and it just goes. And another problem that the, um, the farmers face is that the roads out on the coast are pretty bad, as evidenced by our Jeep rides. So oftentimes the farmers can't uh, get their products from their farms to be sold in markets. So oftentimes it's subsistence, and they're not growing at all. They're not getting money for themselves to spend on better equipment to, um, so they don't have to use the slash and burn. So Sembrando Paz is really working with them. They, they're working with farmers to uh, use different ways that are more sustainable, like planting trees and not burning uh, previous crops and forests. And um, so it's not all dark in Colombia. There's a lot of hope. Uh, it's like Sembrando Paz. But there's also a lot of beauty in Colombia. Like when we went across the boat ride on the lake, you can see, like, this stuff, it's really beautiful in Colombia. You have the shining lake with tons of waterfowl of all different kinds. And there's mountains in the background. They're rising out of nowhere. It's just beautiful. And that's what really stuck with me probably the most out of everything in the trip was just how beautiful some parts of it is and the contrast between the good and the bad and how it all works together. And Ricardo, uh, I forget his last name, but he is the founder of Sembrando Paz, who works with farmers on the coast. And he mentions how um, nations set up borders to divide people, but the air doesn't respect these borders, and it goes where it wants. So what we do here in the United States affects what happens in Colombia. 
and what happens in Colombia affect what happens in the United States. So um, if we work here in the United States for better uh, like practices and better environment here, it'll help the Colombians. And that's what I take with me. In your blue hymnal, number 521, Come Now Fount, 521. Please stand. say that the one thing I most learned or learned most often in Colombia was how to be humble. I think going to a foreign country we always carry with us a sense of pride about our own country and unconsciously maybe but we always do this I feel like we compare that country to our country and there's always a tiny amount of satisfaction when we realize oh that's better in my country. But I think Definitely for me, I realize that this is certainly not always the case and that, especially in Colombia, it's usually not the case. Um, yes, definitely we have um, better technology. We're probably more comfortable. But as Emma mentioned, it's not, it does not always entail happiness. I think being humble in Colombia or rather being forced 
to become humble is one of the most powerful experiences I've ever had. I was humbled by almost everything I saw there. People there were so happy and so resilient despite everything they had. I mean, they had such a spirit about them that almost forced you to be a different person, forced you to be taken out of where you usually are comfortable and set into something completely different. I'll always remember um, when we went to uh, Milagro, um, one of the games we played sort of to get to know each other was a charade game. And what we did, each group put three activities from their daily lives into a hat, and people had to act them out. So all the people from the U.S. were in the same group, and we put U.S. activities in, like getting ice cream, riding a bike, and driving a car. And then all the Colombians put their daily activities into the hat. And, of course, we didn't had no idea what most of theirs were, like chasing armadillos or, like, shelling rice. <laughs> but one of ours um, that we got was riding a donkey, and we had to act this out. So I actually pretended to be a donkey. I got down on all fours and walked around <laughs> with Emma on my back. They got a kick out of that. But I, that is not something I would usually do. I, I don't know how well you know me. I would not usually volunteer to act like a donkey in front of tons of people I don't really know. But the spirit of those people just kind of forces you to do that. Well, not forces you, but puts you in a frame of mind that, hey, I should not stand on my pride and do boring American things. So I did it. And just, I don't know, after that, Everything just sort of fell into place. Like, this is how it should be. You know, you should be open with people. You should be willing to do things that you would not normally do because you're not better than them. And that really came home to me uh, during this time. Also, I don't know, like, feeling alive is something we like to seek out. I think Isaac mentioned in Columbia once that we intentionally make things difficult for ourselves so we can feel better about ourselves. Like, I run cross-country, so I intentionally kill myself for three miles just to say I did that. Whereas in Colombia, you don't have to do that. Every day is a new adventure. Every day is fun. So, I mean, riding on the back of a Jeep, hanging on for what Marlisa told me was for dear life, although I didn't really think that at the time. Um, I feel, that's when you feel most alive, is when you're doing something that you don't usually do. And the sense of godliness and generosity and hospitality that those Colombians had was truly amazing and is something that I will definitely take with me for the rest of my life. Well, we are coming to the end of our talk about Colombia, which by now has probably felt about as long as our trip. So the perfect bank, that's what everyone was thinking, right? <laughs> um, no, but really, this trip was absolutely amazing, and I hope in this short time we've been able to give you a small glimpse of what we experienced. If you got even a fraction of the feeling that we got while being welcomed into the communities in Colombia, then you will understand why I am up here giving you this enormous thank you. Without all of you, your contributions and your support, we would never have been able to travel to Colombia and see the incredible things that we did. 
We also have to give a huge thank you to the people that organized the trip for us, the people working through, with us through MCC. There were five people that we met while in Columbia that acted as our tour guides. Their names are Amy, Anna, Giles, Lonnie, and Larisse. And they worked so hard to make sure that everything went smoothly for us, and were happy to translate and answer any questions that we had, which were, of course, numerous. These people had to have a great amount of passion for the country of Colombia, patience to deal with all 12 of us youth, and, of course, the skills to be able to arrange a good group picture. <laughs> all of these people brought joy and comfort to our trip, while encouraging us to challenge ourselves in a country with so many contrasts to our own. The main organizer of our trip was Amy, um, who, was, who always had a positive attitude and who clearly worked so hard and put so much of herself into planning our trip. We really put a lot of trust in her planning abilities. It wasn't until we were physically in Colombia that we received a schedule for our trip. This turned out to be the best decision we could have made because Amy created a trip around Colombia where we were able to see an incredible amount of contrast and variety in just 10 days. And again, I just wanted to say how much thanks we have to give to you, the congregation. Without you, we wouldn't have been able to ride on this seemingly endless array of transportation methods, witness the strength of so many different people, or be welcomed wholeheartedly into a group of people, despite our numerous differences. You gave us the chance to go on this amazing adventure that would never have been possible without your contributions, your support, and your trust in us to be able to represent East Chestnut Street. And to express this thank you, we would like to invite you to help yourselves to a snack that we have set up in the lobby after the service. Um, it is what we were served at the Tusakio Mennonite Church when we met with the youth group. And we hope that you enjoy it as much as we did. Okay, so we're admittedly bad clappers. But I'd like you to stand to your feet, give it everything you have, and this is what we're going to clap for. Thank you to Daryl, Marlisa, Samantha. Thank you to this amazing group of young people. And we're going to say by clapping, we have received your message, and we are glad you are part of us. So let's hear it. Thank you.